Welcome back for another episode of The Break Room. I'm your host, Morgan Hensley, and in this episode, we're looking into the world of pediatrics, a unique specialty with unique challenges and opportunities. Our guests for this episode are pediatricians Dr. Monica Minocha, who practices at Savannah Pediatrics in Pooler, Georgia, and Dr. Damian Mitchell, who practices at Forest Lane Pediatrics in Dallas, Texas. We'll discuss the benefits of technology, social determinants of health, the many roles pediatricians play, and much more. I hope you enjoyed the show today. Thank you, Drs. Minocha and Mitchell, for coming on the podcast today. We're thrilled to have you. I want to start out with an open-ended question. That is, what makes pediatrics a unique specialty, and consequently, what are the unique challenges pediatricians face? This is Monica Minocha. I'm a pediatrician in Savannah. We have a long-term relationship with not just the patient, but the family as well. And that can cross generations if a practice, if you're in practice long enough. The challenges are the family dynamics, you know, outside influences, the caregiver's ideas versus the patient's needs. Essentially, the caregiver has to be on board because the child is entirely dependent. So that's probably our greatest challenge. But we do get to see them grow up, which is nice. Uh, so I'm Damian Mitchell. I'm a pediatrician at Forsyth Pediatrics in Dallas, Texas. And with pediatrics, one of I find one of the more interesting characteristics is that the for a majority of the care of the child's life, the person that we're communicating with and interacting with in terms of gathering information or sharing information is, is not the patient themselves, but rather the caregiver. And that's a unique situation where there's this third party involved in the care of the patient that is very intimately and deeply involved with the care of the patient and primarily responsible for the care of the patient, which is different uh, than other doctor-patient caregiver relationships. And just as was previously mentioned, that uh, adds another layer of complexity and issues that need to be navigated uh, in the care of that child. Uh, I also think pediatrics is a bit unique in that our patients are primarily healthy. And for many other medical specialties, uh, it's primarily uh, fields that are engaged in the care of sick people. Uh, and we certainly do have sick children that we care for. But a lot of our practice and, and uh, management of the care of children is about keeping them safe, keeping them healthy, and avoiding illness, uh, both in the present and in the future. Uh, and that's a, a unique characteristic uh, uh, with pediatrics compared to other specialties. Dr. Sally Goza, the current president of the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, and a pediatrician in Georgia, noted that today's pediatricians play many roles, uh, social worker, advocate, teacher, as well as healer. I'm curious, how does this holistic framework apply to pediatrics? I think it's all integrated. The teaching that we provide is more probably for the parents than it is, and some to, as the children grow older, we, we do that as well with them. But um, I think our, our goal in this age of of uh, social media and Google and well-meaning relatives and friends is to help parents understand or the caregiver understand what is scientifically significant data and what are the reliable resources. So I think that is where our teaching comes in. As far as um, an advocate, we, I mean, a child 
sometimes can't relate the info or even have a voice. So we have to be the ones to kind of ferret out social issues and hopefully find resolution. I think that Dr. Goza has very clearly described uh, what a pediatrician is. Uh, and because uh, we are caring for healthy patients primarily, and because there is a third-party caregiver involved, uh, a lot of our care does involve teaching and management of families, holistic care of the child. And uh, that's a big part of what we do and an integral part of the care of patients. And obviously, one of our main jobs and responsibilities is, is caring for children when they're sick and making sure that they stay healthy. But in terms of preventing a disease, preventing illness, and allowing a child to grow up to be their full uh, and best self, uh, that also involves uh, management of the home, uh, management of social experiences that the child encounters, management of factors that have been shown to be uh, detrimental to the health of children. And uh, the adverse childhood event study clearly shows that uh, the adverse events that children experience in life have a negative impact uh, on their long-term health. Uh, and as pediatricians, uh, one of our goals is to try to minimize those adverse childhood events uh, as a means of allowing a child to become their, their best full self and as a means of minimizing uh, opportunities for disease and illness in the future. Certainly the case we demand a lot of our pediatricians. To look at it from the other direction, though, uh, what changes have you noticed in today's patients, uh, or, or rather uh, parents of patients? The role of the pediatrician has changed. We had a more, I think pediatricians were more, uh, had a more paternalistic role in the past, but now parents are actually more involved and you're not always dealing with the parent either. So you, in the older children, you almost rely on them to give you the ad adequate history because their caregiver is bringing them in. So that makes it a little bit complicated. And parents and children are more internet savvy. So they have the benefit of readily available info, but at the same time, they're exposed to so much misinformation. We, we really have to help them understand what is uh, scientifically significant data, as well as reliable resources. We have to provide that because there is so much misinformation out there. Yes, I, I would agree with that. The internet age has definitely changed the doctor-patient uh, relationship. Uh, I certainly see that uh, in the past, uh, the doctor was often considered the primary source of, of medical knowledge and information. And uh, with the rise of the internet, we see that patients and parents often find they can get information that they want from the internet. And their physician is no longer that primary source of information. And that has been challenging to the doctor-patient relationship where patients or families or, or parents can go online and get lots and lots of resources, but as Dr. Manager pointed out, that information sometimes is hard to interpret, or there's just lots of bad information out there. And I do see that there is now a little bit of a shift where in years past, there was this thought or approach uh, to the doctor 
parent-patient relationship of I really don't need you, I have the internet. And I'm now seeing more parents recognize that, oh, I, I really do need you because I need you to help me parse through this information because uh, you can find advice for anything. Your comments about practicing medicine in the uh, internet age dovetail perfectly into my next question, which is how has technology uh, such as patient portals, EHRs, telehealth, changed and improved your day-to-day practice as pediatricians? I think there's been a big benefit. There's better tracking, follow-up, able to access data from not just your office, but when you're on call, not losing charts that, that we had an issue with. Virtual visits have been really helpful during this pandemic, and I think they'll, they've proven that we can function to a certain extent with virtual visits. Now, I don't think that would replace well care, but as far as for children that need immediate attention, just to either even to comfort the parents and kind of reassure them, uh, I think that works out very well. I'm looking forward to seeing how the virtual visits will work out during our hurricane season when everything shuts down. And I think we are improving the efficiency of the EHR systems. The patient portals have been great. I wish people would utilize that more. They're such an easy way to access your pediatrician or schedule appointments. So it would be nice to promote those a little bit more. Yes, I I absolutely agree that technology has really resulted in significant advances in access. And that's really where I see the, the benefit in the doctor-patient relationship. Certainly technology has been helpful in, Dr. Minocha pointed out, our documentation and being able to access charts remotely. That's been wonderful. Um, But the part I'm really excited about as we go into the future is the access for patients to be able to engage uh, with their physician through online portals, through virtual visits, through telephone calls, perhaps, you know, options for text messaging uh, are available now. Well, the, there are lots of benefits to technology, and the increase in access uh, to patients is one of the things I'm most excited about. But one of the challenges is going to be really pairing the type of encounter to the appropriate. We need to make sure that we aren't having patients try to engage with the provider through an online portal when it's truly an emergent or urgent issue. And in the same way as Dr. Minocha pointed out, making sure that we have those opportunities for in-person evaluation for well-visit exams, uh, where that face-to-face communication is is really vital for teaching and for uh, assessing how well a family is doing, and it's something that can't really be done quite as well uh, virtually. Speaking of things that are difficult to do virtually uh, are vaccines. Uh, You know, I understand that for pediatricians, vaccines make up a large portion of your workflows and your reimbursements, which, however, are often fairly low. So what are some of the challenges this creates, and and how can pediatricians overcome these challenges? Our issues are the upfront cost, storage, and like I mentioned before, we've had plenty of evacuations in Savannah, so we're responsible for the storage. We have to get insurance. Also, we have a we spend a lot of time counseling patients and their caregivers on vaccine. There's a lot of hesitancy out there. And so that takes up quite a bit of our time. What we've done to kind of ameliorate this is group 
purchasing programs, tight inventory. I know the AAP has been advocating for increased Medicaid payments for administration of vaccines, as well as incentive payments for vaccines for children, which I'm not sure if you all have that in um, Texas, but um, that's what it's called here in Georgia. And I believe the National Privia Pediatrics Committee is also working with the other payers to see if we can kind of help with the costs, because that's really an essential part of what we do in pediatrics is preventative medicine and the vaccines are our ultimate, I guess, success. <laughs> I absolutely agree, and, and we do have vaccines for children in Texas where I practice, uh, and, and you're exactly right. And this is certainly an area where I feel like groups like Privy are very valuable so that pediatricians can gather together with a, a larger voice to communicate to uh, insurance or to the government of the needs and importance of the vaccine and make sure that the reimbursement is matches uh, the cost uh, that it is to not only purchase the vaccines, but as Dr. Merchick pointed out, the time it takes to counsel as well as store and manage uh, those vaccines as they need to be, most of them need to be temperature regulated. And there's a lot of information, there's a lot of time that uh, has to be taken and a lot of care to be taken to make sure that those vaccines are not wasted. What are some of the ways pediatrics can advance value-based care? you know, whether it's vaccines or otherwise. We did participate in some programs with um, Georgia Medicaid and the PCMH and Blue Cross around quality measures. And some of them were related to the vaccines, to so many vaccines by a certain date, completing two sets of Menactra by the 16th birthday. We tried to meet those measures However, it's sometimes difficult when you have a non-compliant, I guess, parent, not patient. They don't really have a choice. And I think that's fine to use that. But if you practice good medicine, we've already been meeting those measures without any financial compensation. So I don't know how they would set that up with value-based care other than keeping the parameters the same and the benchmarks the same, because you can only go so far up. I, I absolutely agree, and I think that's one of the reasons we haven't seen a lot of value-based care in pediatrics. It, it's because pediatrics has always been doing that from the beginning. Our entire focus is on prevention of illness and prevention of disease in children and creating an environment where that child can grow up to be healthy in their best self. And so a lot of the value-based models are based on this, this approach to preventative care in the adult population. And I think when insurers look at pediatrics, they see that there's not a lot of meat left on that bone. We're already doing a really good job. Our practice is participating in a ACO with a Blue Cross Blue Shield. And one of the things they are tracking is vaccines and, and whether or not a certain number are given by a certain age, but that's not something that required any change in our practice. Uh, we were already making sure our kids got their vaccines on time and in an appropriate manner. The only thing that changes now we have more paperwork and more <laughs> reporting to do and making sure that the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. So it's, it's definitely going to be a, an interesting forward in value-based care for pediatrics. Um, I'm not sure exactly what that's going to look like as we go forward. We've done so much already. 
I, I think the opportunity for a value-based model that might work is one where there is a you know monthly stipend per patient uh, that insurance companies pay for the care of that patient, and then the pediatrician is responsible for how to administer that care. I think one of the challenges with our current model is that the reimbursements are higher for in-office care. Reimbursement for prevention of diseases isn't always what it should be as far as obesity management, getting kids connected with dietitians or social workers. Those are the things that aren't paid well, uh, but often have the biggest impact on the child's health. And so if we had a, a payment model where the reimbursement was aligned in the right places, I think that would be helpful. And certainly if our payment for the management of the child was uh, a lump sum, then it might be easier to facilitate virtual visits or call check-ins and these other technological opportunities we have to, to manage care for patients, but in our current environment aren't paid very well uh, by insurance companies. Thank you for your insightful responses. I want to pivot to focus on social determinants of health for a moment. What role do these factors play in pediatrics, and, and how can pediatricians monitor and assess them? I think that social issues do impact quite a bit. Um, at least one out of five children are at the poverty level in the United States. It influences birth weight, mortality, um, mental and physical uh, development. I think we as pediatricians just need to be more aware of our patients' living conditions, food access, education. And I think the only way we can do that is to ask more pointed questions so that we can learn more about them. But then with the information, we need to have resources available to them or for them. But that's where we kind of kind of fall short because there aren't as many resources out there that are readily available. It takes it takes some hunting, and it would be nice if that was incorporated into Medicaid and insurance plans where it was more consistent. It, the data is clear that the social determinants of health are critically important, and the challenge is uh, just finding the time to be able to navigate all of those issues. Uh, you know, in the course of uh, an office visit, uh, there's just so much to cover in anticipatory guidance and making sure the child gets vaccines and making sure that they're well. Then to also be able to investigate all of these other issues is, is a big challenge. Uh, and then just as Dr. Mitch pointed out, once you do find an issue, then figuring out a way to actually address it and get that child connected with appropriate resources is, is another uh, big challenge. And uh, that's definitely something that I don't think pediatricians can do on their own. That's something that we are very much uh, have to rely on other resources and social workers, the school system, and definitely a situation where uh, advocacy for children uh, on a government level, uh, both local, state, and federal, is really important uh, that we make sure that we have resources available for those children who are disadvantaged. Thank you, Dr. Minocha and Dr. Mitchell, for coming on the break room today. Uh, we I really appreciated having you and and, and listening to your experience as, as pediatricians. I want to close by asking, what excites you the most about the future of pediatrics? I think all the innovations that are happening with technology, gene therapy, being able to, to implement virtual consults with specialties that you don't have access to, 
in your town so the parent or patient doesn't need to travel initially. And I think hopefully we'll have a compatible EHR systems too, so that we don't delve in all this paper. But I think the technology, I mean, there's just so much coming out to improve outcomes of children to certain diseases that we can help lessen the severity. And with that comes that uh, the other issue that we need to find a way to transition these kids to an adult physician who is familiar with these pediatric diseases. And that's coming up more and more. So that's going to require some more training. Yes, I, I agree. I've been in pediatrics for private practice pediatrics for 11 years. And my office looks dramatically different today than it did when I started. And the the diagnostic tools that I have available to me are dramatically different today. Uh, the EMR is dramatically different. My opportunities to communicate with and interact with my patients, uh, those are dramatically different. So I'm, I'm definitely encouraged and optimistic about what the next 10 years hold as far as diagnostic opportunities, opportunities to communicate with patients and care for patients. I'm also encouraged that as a society, uh, we're doing a better job of, of asking the right questions and attempting to, to answer the right questions in terms of the social determinants of health and management of obesity, understanding the risks related to smoking and, and uh, other unhealthy activities. And certainly we are not there yet as far as managing or mitigating those, those risks for children, but we're, I do feel like we're on the right path. The thing that scares me is, is how we're going to pay for it all uh, and how we uh, lower the cost of healthcare in our country. Uh, I think that's going to be a really big challenge, but I'm, I'm hopeful that these technological advances uh, provide some answers to those questions as well as thoughtful uh, and then policymaking. That concludes this episode of The Break Room. Thank you again to our guests, Dr. Minocha and Dr. Mitchell, and thank you to all our listeners for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you'd like to learn more about the many ways Privia can help pediatricians thrive, please visit our website. We'll be back next month for another episode of The Break Room. See you then!